Okay. Um, so in terms of a, a political report, what I've tried to do is slightly uh, broaden it from just being coronavirus, um, although, of course, um, you know, understandably, that's what I shall uh, concentrate on. So, first thing, just to deal with the headline news, I'm getting an awful lot of echo back. I don't know if that's someone uh, with their microphone on. Um, anyway, uh, just to deal with the headline news first, uh, Trump has uh, backtracked uh, from quarantining New York, New Jersey and Connecticut. Um, all I would say um, about the Trump administration is uh, here's a textbook example of how not to go about things. And it has to be said that there are exceptions here, uh, but there are many uh, governments that seem to be acting moment to moment on the hoof. Um, whereas I speculated uh, in my article this week in the Weekly Worker, you know, you know for a fact that in uh, most countries who've got scientific advisors and universities and stuff like that, that they actually war game uh, these sort of um, exceptional circumstances and they see how health services and uh, lockdowns and all the rest of it works. Well, all you can say about the United States is they don't seem to have had any plan, um, you know, up their sleeve. It's, it's remarkable. Um, you know, we begin with Trump calling it a, uh, a Democrat hoax, uh, that it's no different to um, flu. Um, you know, last night he was speculating about imposing, uh, as I said, a, a quarantine. Now he's not. You know, who the hell um, is advising him and who the hell does he listen to? Um so the United States not only has the uh, honour of being the world's <coughs> excuse me, largest uh, economy, it's now leading uh, the world when it comes to coronavirus. It has uh, the largest number of official um, um, uh, infections. Now, obviously, that's not the same as deaths, um, but I suspect that somehow the United States will start to catch up uh, with uh, those uh, in the leadership there. Uh, that's Italy at number one, Spain number two, China number three. I'm guessing Iran, we don't know what the real figures are uh, in Iran. And indeed, when it comes to the United States, you have to ask why uh, the thing is so chaotic. Well, in part, uh, that's to do with who's leading it and what budget cuts uh, uh, they made. But also the fact that you're dealing with 50 uh, states, um, all with their own uh, legislation, all with their own powers. And when you're faced with a pandemic, I mean, the key thing is to coordinate, uh, not to just do your own thing. Um, we also have the added complication of private medicine and uh, companies charging uh, and looking at have you got insurance? Um, do you want to pay for that uh, a medical test and how are you going to pay for it? Uh, this is really not how you run um, a social uh, medical uh, system. It might be alright if you break your leg and you're insured, but when it comes to a pandemic, it clearly uh, is not in, to use a phrase, a good place. 
And the same has to be said about Britain, that when you get Boris Johnson, apparently, according to Trump, uh, you know, Trump rings him up and uh, um, Johnson is pleading uh, uh, for ventilators. So much of the popular press is full of uh, Brits flock to uh, the beaches and parks and uh, all the rest of it. All I would say in response to that is that, yeah, that's uh, not a good thing to do. People shouldn't be uh, in, in crowds. People shouldn't be, uh, you know, going on holiday. But on the other hand, we have been brought up at least over the last 30 or so years in a me, me, me uh, culture. I'm all right, Jack. Uh, to use a phrase. So what do we expect uh, under those uh, circumstances? And also, um, to quote a certain Susan Mickey of uh, UCL, she says that ministers should preach, should uh, practice what they preach. Well, with three cabinet ministers um, already officially having a coronavirus, with the prime minister in isolation, with the health minister uh, doing the same thing and then looking at pictures uh, of them in the House of Commons well precisely so lecturing people uh, to do the right thing well it works both ways um, actually I was reading just before uh, we were meeting an article in the the mail uh, and it's quoting a article in the Sunday Telegraph so this is today's Sunday Telegraph basically telling uh, us what we knew, and that is in Britain there was uh, something called exercise sickness. Uh, and this was precisely to test uh, what would happen in the case of uh, a pandemic of some disease that's come from Asia. How would the NHS cope? This is when Jeremy Hunt, the one that's lecturing uh, the government as we speak, was in charge. So bad were the results, so uh, easily did the NHS melt down that they sat um, on the results uh, of that game um, um, planning um, exercise. So what do we have now? We have uh, uh, the idea that the lockdown will continue till June. Um, you know, every time I write down a figure of the deaths, it goes up. So last night it was just over. A thousand now it's over 1,200 and we have government experts telling us that we would do very well uh, if there was just 20,000 uh, uh, deaths um, just to make the point the government's making a great play about the tests that it's introducing why weren't those tests available at the beginning um, of this pandemic just note Germany has been testing 250,000 people uh, a week uh, and it's been doing it for some considerable time. Again, if we want to look at how not to do things, I was just looking at an article uh, published on uh, Sky um, about the um, India um, lockdown and something like 150,000 people are on the move from the big cities such as uh, New Delhi, these are casual workers, uh, and what they're doing, because they've got no livelihood anymore, um, the landlord is uh, turfing them out, uh, there isn't a social security system, um, you know, uh, up and running, so they, they do what uh, people traditionally do in such societies, uh, and they head back uh, to the village, to their children, uh, to their families, and of course, 
Uh, how do they get back? Well, given that transport's been uh, locked down, they walk, uh, and the government's been forced to provide buses. Anyone knows anything about the bus service in India uh, can imagine the scenes. The buses are completely packed, and uh, half the um, passengers are... Uh, uh, precariously located on the roof. Uh, that's what an Indian train also looks like, by the way. Um, so if you wanted to spread this disease back uh, um, to the countryside, make sure everyone gets it, uh, impose a lockdown such as Modi has done, uh, and you see the result. I would suspect we'll see similar scenes in South Africa. I don't know enough about uh, Soweto and uh, uh, other such uh, townships, but my guess would be uh, that an awful lot of people have got family somewhere out there, uh, given that they're deprived of any livelihood, and we're talking about the unofficial economy, people head uh, back to the village. Just to note, um, after the Russian Revolution, uh, that happened in um, St. Petersburg or Petrograd and Moscow, their populations went down, I think by about between 40 and 50 percent, uh, i.e. people without work headed back to the countryside. Uh, and in the process, of course, they take any uh, virus uh, that they happen to have contracted uh, with them. The only mitigating thing I suppose you can say about Africa and um, uh, India is that they are young countries. Um, Europe is old. Uh, America is old and Japan is old and we know that the death rate amongst uh, older people is considerably higher. On the other hand, um, if we uh, look uh, at uh, these countries, they don't have uh, the health services uh, and, you know, I mean, I haven't got a clue what the result will be. Uh, just in terms of the very unreliable statistics that we do have, the death rate amongst young people, young fit people, is something like 0.2%, so slightly above um, a flu uh, death rate. Amongst older people, amongst unhealthy people, it rises to 13%. Um, a question, what to expect after coronavirus socialism? Uh, the Morning Star is recommending... Uh, that we all adopt the Chinese model, look how well they've handled it. Uh, my response to that is no thanks. Uh, the very fact that they're actually talking uh, about the Chinese model uh, does tell you something. You might just as well, if you wanted, uh, uh, to compare the South Korean version of capitalism or the Singaporean version of capitalism. Um, they've had far less uh, cases uh, than China. Uh, they've got on top of it extraordinarily uh, quickly. Um, so what will happen after coronavirus uh, socialism? Well, one thing we absolutely know, uh, and that is that there will be a severe economic downturn. The figures that I've read aren't reliable, but this is what you uh, can go by. Minus 8% in terms of GDP um, uh, this year. Uh, which is a huge uh, uh, drop. Uh, we also know that there will be a massive debt, huge bailouts of um, companies, big and small, huge increase in the number of uh, unemployed, uh, and therefore, again, in terms of today's 
uh, newspapers, Michael Gove, Chancellor of the Exchequer, etc., are talking about austerity. Well, what a surprise. And uh, another decade or two decades uh, of uh, austerity. So uh, in comparison uh, with uh, 2007, 2008, uh, this is far, far more serious. So who's going to pay for that? Well, you know, you already know, don't you? Uh, It's going to be the working class uh, that pays uh, uh, for it. It will also be the third world, I think, uh, that will pay for it. Politically, what would we expect? Well, we obviously don't know, uh, because what we're relying on there is human agency, human will. We're talking about the class struggle. All I would say is that looking at things soberly, and I think we have to, and not just you know, clutch at straws, uh, then we're looking for uh, nasty times. Um, I think we'll see uh, an increase in xenophobia, irrationality, and when they tell us we're all in it together, uh, don't believe them. Um, uh, No, we ain't in it all uh, uh, together. Just to note, there's a reasonably interesting uh, article um, in The Guardian about China, Uh, and about how uh, Chinese people are being told and how they're reacting uh, to foreigners, because it's certainly true uh, that having got on top of the uh, outbreak, um, most new cases in China now come from the outside. But, of course, my guess would be most of them come uh, in business uh, suits uh, or are workers returning to China, i.e. Chinese citizens. But in terms of how people are viewing things, it's foreigners. Um, I think that will happen um, in all manner uh, of different countries. So in the Middle East, um, Arab countries um, are are blaming the Iranians. Um, Why? Obviously because Iran hasn't got on top of the outbreak. um, And it's true, of course, that this outbreak began in China. Uh, because of the primitive um, um, hygiene uh, conditions. But the reality is that what we're dealing with uh, is a pandemic, and um, uh, what we have is rival governments uh, trying to mobilise their populations in order to achieve some sort of we're-in-it-all-together ideology, which in their terms means we're all in it together against the others. Um, So in terms of what we should expect... Uh, I don't think it's anything, um, how should you put it, uh, positive um, um, or, or, how should you put it, uh, inspiring. It's true uh, that local groups have been established, and that's good. Some of them will be anarchists. Some of them will be well-meaning uh, middle-class people. Some of them will be uh, socialist. Who knows? Uh, but clearly... While that is uh, something that we welcome, it's hardly a strategic uh, answer. I don't think we want to look at these local groups as some sort of seeds of um, the Soviets that are just about to uh, uh, mushroom uh, uh, throughout uh, uh, the world. Um, From our point of view, uh, the emphasis has to be still uh, on uh, a strategic view Uh, of socialism, what is socialism and how we need to organise in order to achieve it. Um, Just a couple of remarks in terms of um, 
you know, Boris Johnson, the World War Two spirit, uh, the Blitz and all the rest of it. Um, I think that there, there's a truth there that um, in terms of World War One and World War Two, broadly speaking, uh, the left uh, came out uh, stronger than it went in uh, to those uh, conflicts. But on the other hand, it was strong before it went into those uh, conflicts. And we're talking historically, uh, not in terms of particular circumstances. Can we say the same uh, about where we are uh, today? And I think you then have to, uh, you know, uh, even with Bernie Sanders and, God help us, um, Jeremy Corbyn, I don't think we can say anything remotely like that. Um, what was World War II about anyway? It wasn't simply an anti-fascist war. Uh, there was an element of that. Uh, but for Britain, Britain was fighting an imperialist war. It was fighting to preserve its uh, empire. Uh, in France, that took on uh, elements of national liberation. In Holland, Belgium, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, and one can list them out again, uh, um, a national liberation struggle. Okay, shifting the discussion, um, I thought it would be worthwhile, um, I don't know how we'll handle uh, this discussion, I suppose we just have to go from one comrade to another, to um, discuss the uh, slogan Communist Party of the European Union. Uh, why was it a correct slogan? Well, one, because it's extremely ambitious. It was uh, something um, that we could um, hold up against the little, um, um, it, little British chauvinism uh, of much of uh, the left. But the fact of the matter is that um, uh, what we had in the EU, and we're talking about in terms of Britain, is not only common laws and elements uh, of a state, uh, such as a bureaucracy, we also had elections. Um, so although you cannot really regard the EU as a state, um, uh, the left did have an opportunity, and we're talking about the left in Britain, to unite uh, with comrades in Europe. And of course they didn't take that opportunity in the same way much of the left didn't use the opportunity of uh, the election of Corbyn in Britain as Labour leader in the way that they should have. But clearly, uh, that slogan no longer applies to us. And uh, maintaining it, uh, you know, it comes over, I think, as um, slightly mad. Um, I don't you know that Britain has left? Well, yes, we do. What particular slogan replaces it? I mean, I'm not free and easy about it. Um, but um, if comrades are particularly attached to we must display our internationalism, workers of the world unite is a, a, a good one. Um, Communist Party of Europe um, is an incorrect uh, slogan uh, because there is no um, a state uh, called Europe. There's um, an artificial continent called Europe, which is actually just an extension of uh, the Asian landmass. You could say that there's some sort of common culture in Europe. If you say that, I'll ask you what common culture. If you said Christianity, I'd say then you don't know what you're talking about. Don't you know the history uh, of Eastern Europe? If you said Catholicism, again, again, again. Um, if you said the Enlightenment, well, again, 
common history uh, it's a very loose uh, thing all you can say is that historically uh, at least in western europe what we've had is um, advanced capitalist countries uh, beginning with britain uh, but joined by others as imperialist states or imperialist rivals and in terms of the world revolution that's why the bolsheviks uh, before world war one raised the slogan of the united states of europe uh, later on um, after they came to power they envisaged what they call the united states of asia uh, and europe um, anyway um, the united states of europe under the rule of the working class is a perfectly correct slogan for those sorts of reasons i.e the pace of what we would expect the pace of the global revolution would be and where we want to actually focus uh, minds um, um, on uh, a couple of other points to wrap up um, we have the results of the labor leadership election coming in very soon uh, an article in the express not worth the paper it's written on Keir Starmer because it is he who we expect will um, aim to get rid of Jenny Formby, Ian Lavery, Kate Murphy, and one I suspect can carry on down the list. Um, uh, does that result mean we change our strategy vis-a-vis -vis the Labour Party? Well, no, because our strategy predates Corbyn. For those that think in fixed categories, that think that the Labour Party is there simply to stand in elections, I just think that's moronic. It's a bit like looking at trade unions and saying they're only there for paying conditions. Well, that's not been the position of communists historically. The position of communists has always been to tra transform trade unions from paying conditions uh, into schools for communism. Uh, I think, I think, if you look at today's rules, for example, of the GMB, um, uh, they began life written uh, by Eleanor Marx, and it has the aim of socialism. And a number of unions will have the aim of socialism uh, in their rules. And um, it's that approach that we want to take with the Labour Party. The Labour Party is a federal organisation. It includes the trade unions. What's meant to be the idea um, in terms of communists, uh, that if we start to be successful and we start winning the leadership of trade unions, we don't use... Uh, uh, that strength to influence the Labour Party because that's not our job well that's just crazy um, so no we don't have a change of strategy clearly though we need to be looking at uh, what Starmer uh, is intending to do um, will he purge uh, the left or, or won't he bother uh, I don't know um, it all depends um, lastly, uh, reading our uh, comrade over the other side of the pond, Jim Cregan, replying to that excellent writer, uh, um, uh, Paul, uh, what the bloody hell is he called? Demarte. <laughs> Paul Demarte. Um, I just have to say, looking at his article, it, it, it does bring to mind why I think modern day Trotskyism is closer uh, in spirit and strategy to anarchism uh, than to Marxism. You know, there, there really isn't any historical understanding 
of the importance that Marxists have given to using elections uh, as one of the best weapons we've got to organise the working class into a class, into a party. And ob the obvious examples uh, of it are Chartism, when workers did not have the vote. Uh, and yet, by, you know, by organising around the demand for the vote, uh, the workers were organised into the world's first workers' party. The other example is the German Social Democratic Party, uh, their success in getting elected to a parliament that was a, a fig leaf uh, for Kaiserdom. Another example is the Workers' Party of France, the programme, of course, written in uh, Engels's uh, front room down the road in uh, uh, Regent's Park Road. Uh, a lot of people who read that uh, programme don't understand its historic significance. It talks about using elections, and what that meant is the Workers' Party of France uh, was separating itself off from the Blanquists, from the anarchists, from the Prudenists, uh, who didn't believe in political action. The word political action for Marxists meant organising in elections. It's not that elections are the be-all and end-all, but they're a hugely powerful uh, weapon that we can use and you can see that uh, in the case of the RSDLP, the case of the Bolsheviks winning all of the, um, or was it six out of seven, I can't remember, but basically winning the workers' courier in the um, 1912 elections and what this allows the party to do is basically test the temperature uh, of the working class. If they don't vote for us, they're very unlikely uh, to come to the barricades and be willing to die for us. So our approach to both British elections and in the past to EU elections would be, for example, in EU elections where there would have been PR for us, stand in elections, if we win 50%, if we win 51%, uh, then it's not that we would obey the rules in the same way that if the RSDLP uh, won a majority, or if the um, SDP, Social Democratic Party in Germany, had won the majority, you expect the other side to play by the rules. We don't. But it tells you uh, that the population is ready uh, for a radical change, and then we are merely then looking at how we implement that change. Have we infiltrated the army? Is the army on our side? Is it on their side? A lot of that would depend on what sort of political work uh, we've done. Is the army a professional army uh, or is it a popular militia? All of those questions then become concrete questions of how to actually uh, conduct the actual revolution as an act. So we are using elections as a way of organising the working class and as a barometer, a social barometer. Comrade uh, 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 Cregan seems to be relying on strikes and street demonstration, street demonstrations and basically, you know, looks down his nose uh, at electoral work. That's all.